The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Mike Sheets, sales manager at De La Boot the custom ski boot makers based in Salt Lake City, Utah. We talk about the founder and innovator, Mel Dalebout, and the lasting impacts of his products on the ski industry. Hey, welcome back everyone. This is Chase and joining me today uh, remotely is Mike Sheets, sales manager at Dale Boot. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm excited to get into this because uh, this is a part of our History of Gear series that we've been doing, uh, documenting uh, the history of brands in the outdoor industry. And we've kind of primarily focused on a lot of the Colorado based companies and being from Utah and, and being, you know, with Utah state, like I've wanted to dive into the history of Utah outdoor brands. And, uh, Dale boot is one of those that has been around longer than maybe people think. And certainly longer than, than I realized, um, a company dating back into the, into the sixties. Um, so excited to, to dig into the history a little bit with you. Uh, but maybe first of all, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, I started working for De La Boot when I was about 15 years old. I was um, trimming parts for them um, when they had the contract for Burton Snowboard Boots. Um, back in the 80s, um, they were making all the liners for Burton Snowboard Boots at the time. And... Uh, the original owner of the company, Mel Dalebout. Um, my best friend's grandparents lived across the street from him, and we used to swim in his pool when we were kids and things like that. And when he got that contract, he needed kids basically that didn't need a lot of money to sit and trim snowboard liners. So that's kind of what I did in my summers: is trim snowboard liners and swim in a swimming pool. Um, then I actually got working for a company uh, that was making backpacks and stuff and kind of outdoor equipment for Easton, uh, archery, and stuff like that. And they got involved with a material called EVA. And EVA is a heat foldable material, and they were using it for their backpacks uh, and things like that and making cases for bows and things like that. And I started thinking, well, why can't we make a liner out of this stuff? And so I started making a liner out of it. And then I went to Mel and my buddy who was working for Mel at the time and said, hey, I think we can make a ski boot liner out of this stuff. And so we started messing around with it. And then Intuition came out with their heat moldable liner out of EVA. And so at the same time, we were basically making ours. And I told them, Hey, why don't you guys hire me on and we'll just bring it in house and start making all the liners in house. And so that's really how I got on full time with Dela Boot is working with the EVAs and liners. Um, 
I started doing the liners more and more. And then Mel brought me more into doing boot fitting and learning about feet and balance and stance alignment and things like that. And then I started becoming a boot fitter. Um, As far as that went, I got fitting thousands of boots a year and started saying, hey, this is great, but what else can I do? And then I really got into more of the manufacturing side of it and learning more about the plastics and different materials available. And what happened was in 2000, what was it, 2007, Mel decided to sell the company to a a guy named Rob Graham, who he sponsored back in the 80s, who was on the Olympic freestyle team. And he sold the company to, to Rob because Rob was a guy he knew. He was running Daily Boot Europe at this time, and Mel was just getting too old. And so when Rob took over... He kind of moved me more to basically trying to get the name back out there. Dale Boot had kind of gone to selling 20, 30,000 pairs of boots back in the 80s when Mel was at his highest. And people thought Dale Boot went out of business. The reason for that is because the industry took a hard dive back in the 80s and Mel lost a lot of money from little shops going out of business and not paying him his money. And so Mel said, forget this. If you want to buy Dela boots, you're coming to Salt Lake, you're buying them direct. You're not, I'm not going to sell through retailers anymore. And so he went from selling 20, 30,000 pairs of boots to selling four or 500 pair of boots. The only reason he stayed in business is that contract from Burton snowboard boots at the time. Um, and so Mel just kind of wrote it out and wasn't really doing much as far as new ideas, developing things. He was just kind of riding the course. And as Mel got older, <laughs> everybody thought, hey, what's going on with Dela Boot? Me and a uh, guy named Adam Olson, who's the general manager, um, we were really the only two employees left with Mel at the end. And then Rob came along and they worked out their deal. And now we're back selling boots to the retailers and getting the name back out there. And it's great to see the company that was so big and in the U.S., Salt Lake really getting back out there and people finding out about it again. So that's, that's one of the funnest parts to be a, a part of. So that's awesome. When when did you start with the company? Um, so like I say, I was fifteen, if you want to say that. But then I uh, really came on as full time back in about ninety eight. So okay, okay, yes. and and so this company had been been around for a long time. Do do you mind? Uh, you know, we're going to go back a little bit and kind of get yeah. into to Mel's history, but. Um, just kind of a brief, brief recap. Um, well, I mean, he, he went to the university of Utah, right? Yep. Like he, he played football there. Um, I, I guess kind of his introduction to, to skiing. Do you mind sharing that story? Some of it's on, you know, I, yeah, I found pretty, online, it, but it, what, what was his pretty, introduction to skiing? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So Mel grew up in the Provo area and he was the first, uh, basically football player from, for the University of Utah to come from the Provo area. Wow. And, that, so, and, and for those who don't know, that's a big deal. Exactly. And so he um, was playing football and then winter break came on and a couple of his friends took him up to Alta. He never skied before and he fell in love with the sport. And so the following year, he was actually an alternate for the U.S. Olympic ski team. He picked wow. it up so great. He was a great athlete, so it came nationally to him. Um, but he he hated the way ski boots felt, and so he 
basically um, finished school, got his engineering degree, and worked, went to work for a company called Inland Steel and was making, doing that. And he was always ski, 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 and that's what he wanted to do. And so one day in his garage, he started saying, I, I've got to figure out a way for boots to feel better. And at the time, all it was was leather ski boots. That's what they were making. And he said, we need to make something that's stiffer, um, something that can really allow the skier to get the performance that you're looking for. Because out of a leather ski boot, you just couldn't do it. And so at the time, plastics just weren't available at the time. And so he came up with a boot that he would put two chemicals in, they would make a reaction, and it was the first foam injection liner. And that's where he really came on and got his patent and stuff like that. But at the time, he was, says, okay, I've got this great liner. What do I put it in? And so he started putting it in a ski boot that was made out of magnesium. And you can actually see one of them at the Alf Ingen Ski Museum up in Park City. And we have some at our retail shop as well. But it looks like something that they would walk on the moon on. It's, I can't believe people ever skied in it. It's super heavy, super cold. And it's, I'm glad that's not what we're in anymore. Um, so back in the day, he was making those. And uh, he, um, what happened is Lang came out with the first plastic ski boot back in 69. Uh, and plastic really kind of started being a huge thing in the ski boot industry. And so Mel was looking at, okay, how can I do this? And plastic molds are super expensive for ski boot making. And that's really where the cost is. So you'll see like little type boutique ski manufacturers come along and go and come because it's a lot easier to make a ski than it is ski boots. And the cost to do it's just enormous to basically get it going. Um, so Mel was looking at, hey, I've got to get this or I'm just going to be a ski boot liner manufacturer. And that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to make a ski boot. And so what happened is in the early 70s, uh, all these ski boot manufacturers like Lang and everybody um, started making foam injection liners and were infringing on Mel's patents. And so Mel basically sent letters asking for royalties and saying, you're infringing on my patents. And all these companies pretty much kind of wrote them off and said, take me to court. And so Mel couldn't really afford it. And so these guys knew it because he was so small. So they were basically not worried about it. And then how Mel lucked out at the time is he was getting all of his silicones from his liners from GE. And so he asked GE if they would back him in the lawsuit. And they said, yeah, no problem. And so once Ling and everybody heard that GE was backing him, they basically said, oh, we can't compete with their pockets. Let's start paying them his royalties. And so that allowed Mel to basically come out with his first plastic injection molds. And he did that in 71, 72. And that's when Mel really started gaining momentum as a ski boot maker. Um, he's come out with numerous patents over the years. One of the big ones was cantable and replaceable soles on ski boots. Um, he did sell that to a few of the other manufacturers, but they didn't like the idea because they didn't want to replace soles. They wanted to sell whole new pairs of ski boots instead of just the soles on ski boots. And so Solomon was a big player that 
bought into that and try to, but uh, they stopped doing it. But now you're seeing more and more people now that our patents ran out, almost any new high-end ski boot is going to have replaceable soles. Um, people just will not buy a boot without it anymore just because you spend so much not only on a purchase of a ski boot but then all these people will spend all this money getting a ski boot to fit them right and they want that boot to last as long as they can and so the big thing you first wear out on a ski boot is soles and so you're not going to buy a boot unless it has replaceable soles typically now so back to mel in the history a little bit yeah. uh mel uh so 70s was going great things were super he was just coming up with new ideas, working along and everything. Then the 80s hit and he got the contract for Burton snowboard boots at the time. And just, um, um, the head guy, Jake, uh, Jake Burton came to him and had basically a um, Sorrel pack boot and Mel made a liner to fit in that. And that was really the first Burton snowboard boot was a Sorrel <laughs> pack boot with Mel's liners in it. And he had that contract, I think it was nine, 10 years, and he was making millions of liners for Burton snowboard boots through the years. And everything was going great. He was selling those. Daily Boot was doing great. And then the industry took the dive, at least the ski industry, just from kind of the recession in the 80s. And like I said, that's when he lost a lot of the business that he had. And he kind of said, I'm not doing this anymore. And at the same time, Burton decided to take uh, a production of liners overseas. And so he lost out on that. But th without Burton, he wouldn't have been in business anyways. I mean, it was great that he had Burton for all those years. And he thanks Burton, or he thanked Burton for keeping him in business. Uh, he, he says, because uh, he grew up skiing at Alta, and Alta is always known for you no know, snowboarders and stuff, but he loves snowboarders. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. but, um, uh, so what he started doing was in the late eighties, he got a contract from, I don't know if you remember the old, uh, health riders that, uh, that mm -hmm. exercising equipment, he was, yeah. uh, making all the seats for those. And so he was making all these health rider seats and no one knew about it. He never kind of said anything about it. It was just something he was doing to keep him in business. Um, and the machine that he was using that did these things were the same machine that he was using to make all the burnt snowboard liners. But the problem was, is the chemicals that he was using, OSHA started cracking down harder and harder on these chemicals, and you just couldn't get them in the U.S., and prices went up. And so basically that manufacturing kind of, um, I don't know, what do you want to say, process basically dissolved in America. and so. He went away from that, and that's when EVA material started coming out, and that's when he started going to that type of material. And and that was the and that was in the nineties when you yeah that was in the nineties yep so and so nineties came along he was doing that, um, and he was just getting older, having more health problems. He had, had pacemakers installed and things like that, and he really just wasn't doing much as far as new new design and really keeping up. He was just kind of writing it out in my opinion. Um, but then, like I said, Rob Graham in 2007, I believe it was, um, he started Dela Boot Europe and he was selling boots in his headquarters in Kitzbühel, Austria. 
out of there and started picking up dealers throughout Europe. And he actually started more selling more boots in Europe than we were selling in the States. And so he came to Mel about two, three years later and said, Hey Mel, what are you looking to do with the business? And Mel said, well, Hey, I'm getting to an age where I can't really do it anymore. And Mel had two daughters and they didn't really show any interest of really getting involved with the company and doing anything with it. And so he said, why don't you just buy me out? And so they kind of worked out some deal where he took over the assets and things like that. And uh, he's kept production in Salt Lake, which is awesome. And he's always kind of, that was part of the deal with Mel is that he wanted to keep production in Utah and keep it a USA based company. And so that was one of the things they, that Rob wanted to follow through with and has since he's taken over. And so it's awesome to see, um, Mel or Rob is actually from, uh, the Boston area, but he actually lives in Kitzbühel, Austria now. And that's where his, that's where our European headquarters are based out of is in Kitzbühel, Austria. So, right. So kind of over the, over the decades of the business, um, did, was full-scale production of boots happening in, in Utah? I mean, you, you mentioned at, at one point, you know, hundreds of thousands of boots were being made, right? Well, um, that's liners. Uh, okay, the liners. Okay. Shells and boots. The highest it would ever be was like twenty, thirty thousand, 30,000, which is a lot of ski boots for a small <laughs> company. Right. And, and, and yeah, those were all, all made? Those were all, all made, made in Utah. Utah. Yep. Wow. And wow. Still, still made in Utah today at our uh, manufacturing facility in North Salt Lake. So. Wow. So how much of the business over the years was um, kind of off the shelf versus custom? Everything we do as far as daily boot, ski boot, um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, I guess. Everything we've done has been a custom product. So what typically happens is a customer uh, will go into one of our locations. They, the boot fitter there will take their measurements. Once those measurements are done, those measurements will go to the factory in Salt Lake or the factory in Kitzbühel, Austria. Then what happens is that either wherever those boot, that order goes is the boot is then made to those measurements. So say a customer comes in and one of their feet's a little longer, or a little wider than the other, we'll actually make that shell a little longer, a little wider. Once the lower part, which we call the clog, is made to that individual's feet, then we decide, okay, what type of stiffness does this customer need? Are they a 250-pound man that skis aggressive and wants a real stiff boot? Then we'll go ahead and put on a stiffer cuff, a stiffer tongue, and things like that. Or, hey, are they a 100-pound, 70-year-old woman that's just out there to relax and ski groomers all day? If that's the case, we don't need to put her in a stiff boot. We want to put her in something soft, something she can get actually flex and really feel the snow and enjoy the sport um, that we all love. <laughs> and that's kind of what we try to do is keep people in something that feels good to them, but gives them the performance that they're looking for, but keeps them out on the terrain longer <laughs> than they ever thought they could and more enjoyable than they ever thought they could experience. And that's really always been Dale Boots goal is, hey, we love this sport. This is why we love it. We want to get as many people out there enjoying it the same way. So what what was the decision around like making sure it was a custom custom fit business? I mean that that has its own unique challenges, right? Yeah, just it, as just as like <laughs> doing a full scale production of of boots has its own challenges. It, what what was the appeal of of doing custom boots for every person? 
Well, and I think that's where Mel kind of started um, is he had stock boots when he was skiing <laughs> at Alta and he said, this, that it doesn't need to be like this. He wanted to basically pour a boot around an individual. So it was for them. And that's what he's always said is, look, everybody's got different feet. No one's got the same foot. He tried to build his, what they call last, the last of the shell yeah. off. He took, took all these measurements that he could off as many people as he could and basically try to find out, hey, what's the norm? But there's really <laughs> no norm. <laughs> You've got, hey, a 98 millimeter last. Well, that's great. And that's what we typically say is the norm, but it's not. <laughs> and so what, and it changes so often um, throughout the years and buying patterns and stuff, you just never see the same year after year. You'd never see the same uh, sales numbers. <laughs> yeah. What we call in our industry a 27, which is like a size nine U.S. men's, you're, you say that's the most common boot. But then you have all these different widths that fall into that size. <laughs> and that's where you're really saying, hey, you can't make a boot off the shelf for, one, for so many people. It just doesn't work. And that's why boot fitters are so great, you know, is that that validates everything Mel's done for years is all these custom boot fitters. But what Mel says is, look, you don't need to try to pull a boot off the shelf that's, hey, this is the closest one to you. Now let me see what I can do to modify it to make it work for you. What he does is basically starts with the foot and builds from the foot out. And that's really what he always uses whenever we would come up with a new product. And that's what we still do is say, look, let's go from the foot out instead of basically trying to make the boot work to the customer. Right. So, that's so I'm going I'm to go back a little bit, actually yeah, a lot, um, yeah. kind of to the early days. Um, what, what, was, uh, what was the ski industry like um, when, when Mel you know, first went out and skied at Alta? I guess, what, what was the lay of the land? <laughs> At that time. Yeah, of course, I wasn't around, so yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know it personally by any means. I just know it through stories and through history and stuff like that. And the way Malik's described it is it was more of a kind of a <laughs> free-for-all <laughs> more than it is today. Um, you, Everybody was in long, straight skis with leather ski boots, and you had these guys like uh, the Ingen brothers who were mm -hmm. kind of progressing the sport and things like that, but it wasn't nearly like it is today. Um, skiing, especially in the States, um, it wasn't, it wasn't looked at. And I'd say it's still not looked at nearly the same as it is in Europe. Um, state skiing is totally different even today than it, is in Europe. And I'd say that's what's been great about um, being in Utah and being a Utah manufacturer is seeing how the sport has progressed and changed in the States compared to how it's changed and progressed in Europe. Um, in the States, everything, like people could walk down the street here and see Ted Ligety, Lindsey Vaughn, Bodie Miller, and a lot 
a lot of people wouldn't even know who that person is. Um, but then they can also walk down the street and see Glenn Plake or uh, more of an extreme skier guy. And, and more people would recognize that person here in the States. But over in Europe, you see Bodie Miller, Lindsey Vaughn, somebody like that. They think it's a superstar like LeBron James or something like that because skiing has such a rich history over there as far as racing and stuff like that. So it's, it's completely different. But here in the States, big mountain skiing has become the new thing. And extreme skiing with your um, dew contest and your ESPN uh, stuff and things like that. So the markets are still so different from states to the US, uh, to Europe. And as far as your question is history, I'm probably not the best person to answer that because I just wasn't around. All I know is stories and listening to Mel say, hey, it was so much different. You didn't have the crowds and the lift prices and all this stuff. You could just go up and really you didn't have the, the, the control of the industry telling you what, you, what, what it should be, you know? And I think that's what we had in the 90s and 80s was the skiing industry was kind of nothing really was changing a whole lot, especially in ski boots in the 80s and 90s. And now I'd say we've seen a huge jump in technology uh, with 3D printing and lighter plastics and things like that that have really changed it from 80s and 90s just to today. You know, it's amazing how much better the equipment is. Right. I, I ask about the time that, that he grew up in um, because, you know, from my own digging back, um, especially w- with the history of companies like Holy Bar and, and Jerry, uh, you know, on the other side of the mountains in, in Boulder, um, you know, the origin of, of the outdoor industry over there is closely tied to the 10th mountain division. Yeah. Right. Um, and I know it's similar here, here in, you know, so many of our ski resorts, um, it was those 10th mountain division, uh, veterans who came back and, and helped build those resorts. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because, because Mel's story is different, right? I mean, he kind of, he was around during that time, but wasn't a part of that group and, but still, you know, found a way to be like an influential part of the ski industry, which, which seems ab- abnormal. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it is or not, but it's interesting yeah, I mean, kind of the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It was like, you're a football player. You've never skied until your <laughs> late, early, early twenties, you know, and, then you jump on the scene and you're just going to jump out of nowhere and come up with a ski boot. Yeah. It's definitely a different way to enter the, <laughs> the, the ranks of it, especially for ski boots. Ski boots is that's Italian. No one <laughs> now it's Italian laying. I mean, places and uh, Rosemont and everything like that. You did have places in the U S doing it, which was great. And Scott then in the eighties and I wouldn't say it, but you, when you think of ski boots now, it's all Italian designed, but half of the stuff, more than half, is not even produced in Italy anymore. Uh, it's Czech Republic, Hungary, things like that, you know. But yeah, back in the day, I can't even imagine what it was like for Mel to try to walk into a shop and sell a magnesium ski boot to someone, you know. I, it, it blows my mind how he was even able to get the company going. So yeah, no, that's wild. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so he, just to get some of my dates, right. Um, yeah. he, the, the company officially started, it was 69. Yeah. Right? From what I, yeah. Okay. And he first saw plastic ski boots in 67. 
Uh, no, uh, or, or, he first came out with this plastic ski boot was 71, 72. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But he had seen there were, there was another plastic ski boot maker that was. Yeah. Lang was the first, was, okay. is credited for the first plastic ski boot. Right. And was most products, um, you know, especially when he was using product in their, those early days, was it coming out of Europe? Was most ski product coming out of there? Uh, not particularly. Um, I mean, Lang was a U.S company for a while you know right um so i i wouldn't say that uh, okay but yeah because of the history of skiing europe was the definitely the place where most of it was being developed but then the u.s of course started picking up on it so right so 69 mostly doing liners up until when did when did he really start diving into plastic he was doing magnesium in 69 that's when okay. he first came up with his magnesium ski boot oh, okay um and 71 72 is when he started diving into the plastics and trying to come out with his first plastic ski boot oh, okay so 70, 72 73 he was selling plastic ski boots to with foam injected liners to really any retail shops he could pick up. So he was selling them out of Gart Brothers and places mm-hmm. like that. So Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I, I think we did a, you did a great job of covering the, the history. What do you feel like the lasting impacts are? You, you've touched on the innovations yeah. um, and the heritage. Um, it's, it's great to see that this brand is, is alive and well and, and you know, really going to, I think, keep growing and hopefully get back to that point, you know, when it was at its high. Um, what do you think the lasting impact and legacy of the brand is considering you've seen it um, yeah. you know, you've been a part of it for so long? So how I always look at it is Mel was a genius in my mind. He, he started from nothing and was able to come up with a ski boot that some people are still, some brands are still copying ideas off of from his first one with independent flex patterns and, uh, cannibal soles and adjustable insoles and things that you look at today's boots and those things are still being used and people are trying to find better ways to make those things that he came up with. Um, and he was just so ahead of his time. Um, and I think if he was still around and started in today's era, he would have come up with something more amazing than any of us could have ever dreamed of just with how ski shapes have changed and materials and everything like that. Um, he, he was so far ahead of his time thinking outside of the box. And I think that's what he's always put into De La Boot is, Hey, think outside, think of what is available for each individual skier. Don't limit yourself to, looking at the big picture and saying, Hey, we've got to accommodate a, a, a kind of a stock boot, a stock thing that can, that can work for a, (laughs) a group of people off the shelf. That's just not what he ever wanted to be. Um, I forgot to even put this back in the day, Spalding actually tried to buy Mel out. um, I wanted to start a ski boot company, but they wanted to make it a big thing and put Spalding on it and make it a big thing. And Mel backed out of the deal at the last minute because he saw that his, his dream, his ideas were basically just not going to be what he wanted for his brand. And so back in the eighties, he pulled out of it pretty much last minute. Um, and at the time, (laughs) 
<laughs> everyone thought he was crazy because he was going to, they were going to keep him on board for so many years and everything like that. But he just saw kind of what it would have been and just been like any other brand out there. And like, I think I mentioned it earlier, you're seeing all these other brands come out with boots that are adaptable, custom food liners, heat moldable shells. And it just validates everything that Mel was always picturing as far as ski boots is that you need to make it for each individual skier. You just can't grab a boot off the shelf, put it on a skier and tell them to go enjoy it. And that's one of the biggest things we always fight um, at De La Boot is because of our price point and because of who we are, we, we only typically sell to people that are more into the sport and have the funds to pay for it. What we've always hated about that is that you get these new skiers that want to, or these people that want to try out the sport. And then they go to a rental shop and the rental shop measures their foot. They say, Oh, you're a size 10. They throw a size 10 boot at them and they put it on and they go, Oh, this kills my foot. So they just upsize them and upsize them until they're in a boot. That's a boat. And the customer <laughs> says, Oh, that feels good. Okay. So they go ski their first time, have a lesson, and they've got no control of the ski because the, <laughs> the boot's so big, their foot's moving around. And we lose these new skiers because their first experience with the sport was horrible because the boots hurt so bad. And we've always thought at Daily Boot, if, if, if we can make boots and the sport more enjoyable, we're going to retain people over time and want to progress the sport and basically keep it alive. And that's really what I would say Mel's lasting thing is, is how do we continue to make a product that's adaptable for each individual skier, a performance level, ability level, and comfort. <laughs> and that's what I would say that that's what he's always been about and always will be about. So. That's awesome. No, I think yeah. that's great. Um, you, you mentioned, I mean, I, I think it's also important that we touch on like, I, I guess at, at the high point, like what do you think was driving adoption of, of these products? I know that um, you've had some high profile customers, people who've, who have uh, vouched for the brand. Um, you know, did some of that help? Um, you know, you've, you've had great athletes, um, great skiers that are sponsored by the brand. Um, I, I had heard something about Robert Redford use, you know, using the, the boots. Did some of that play into get more really, wide adoption of, of custom fit boots? We've really never been a big kind of marketing advertising type company. That's just not who we've been. Um, we always think word of mouth is your best seller. And so that's really been the big driving point behind our company. Yeah, what typically happens when we pick up a new, what we call partners, uh, other people would call dealers. Um, when we pick up a partner, we really dive into their business and say, look, we want you to spend the time with the customer. We don't want you to just pull the boot off the shelf, say, here you go, go ski it, tell me if there's any problems. That's not what we want. If that's the type of store you are, you're not the type of store that we would have sell daily boot. And so people are always like, why don't I ever see De La Boot in the big box stores or all over the place? Well, that's the big reason is because big box stores, they're all about volume. And we're, we're not ever going to be a boot that is about that. Um, and we're always going to be a company that looks for real ski boot 
fitters and people that will spend the time with the customer and do adjustments and follow up and make sure that they're getting the customer set up properly to the best that they can. Um, and then Daily Boot, as the manufacturer, always stands behind those partners. So if a customer ever has an issue with the boot, even 10 years down the road, they can come back to Dalebu and we will always do adjustments for free for the life of that boot for that customer. And, um, God, I lost my train of thought. Uh, so as far as why, why we haven't grown or been bigger at certain times, it's really hard to say. Um, yeah, we've had big night, big team, big name athletes. We've had, U.S. Olympic athletes, we've had celebrities, we've had all different types of people in the boots, but really we've always been so small that compared to the big players, it's so hard to be just a, a company that can put all this money into advertising without the network to support it. And that's, right. that's where a big part of it is, is yeah, we can put money into ski magazine and into all these films and stuff. And we've done some stuff over the years but it's always what it's always hard to say hey let's dump money here but oh we don't have a good enough partner in that location to support the demand and right. so that's where we have so many skiers or customers who will basically fly from all over the world to one of our facilities <laughs> just to get fit for ski boots i worked in the salt lake retail location for years and I couldn't believe how many people would fly from thousands of miles away just to get a ski boot and they would do it in the summer months sometimes and fly out same day or next day just to get a ski boot hey they love the sport so much to do that and they've sourced it out to do that and obviously it can work in any location but that location has to be focused on the customer and that's where you're starting to see the real ski boot fitters stay alive is really since Amazon and Backcountry and all these big places have come out with, hey, buy your boot online, get your best deal, then go take it to a ski boot fitter to get fit. And that's what you're seeing the industry turn into. And it's kind of sad because you're losing all these old mom and pop ski shops that have all this history and have all this um, education and intelligence that they can provide to the customer with, without just getting on computers and trying to read as much as you can, which is great. But there's, there's a thing about a person that has fit boots and can really tell you the differences. Right. Well, and a ski boot is one of the things that I feel like is it, it's the last thing that I would want to buy online just because I've had such bad experiences trying them on and, you know, getting up on the mountain and having a terrible time because it just doesn't fit. Like I can't imagine buying something and, and my first experience putting it on is on the mountain, right? And <laughs> exactly. having to ship it back and forth. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and I think you're in an interesting position where you get to you're doing something that the big guys could never do, right? Like being so focused on, on the customer and, and so focused on custom and, and, and I, yeah, I just can't imagine the big, the big guys ever, you know, getting it to a point where they do custom like you do. So. Yeah. I mean, um, I'd say the closest stuff now is the vacuum molded materials that have come out from like Fisher and things like that, which is great. And these shops can accommodate a lot of new things with this material, but at the same time, they are limited and can't go to the 
to the <laughs> to the limits that we can i would say so right but. well this this has been awesome i i it's great to know that you're still around still kicking um Absolutely. you know you do incredible work um so you can find you guys really ev- everywhere right daleboot.com yeah daleboot.com uh, facebook instagram all that type of stuff um our um retail shop in salt lake is on 3300 south and um or I'm sorry, 2955 East, 3300 South, uh, just kind of down from Salty Peaks, Milo Sports, REI on that road there. Um, our European headquarters are in Kitzbühel, Austria. You can find all our other locations that sell our boots on our website. So, no, This has been awesome. Just It's been fun to dig into the history a little bit with you. Thanks for being willing to share a little bit of that with me today. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, man. And any other questions you guys have, feel free to hit us up on Facebook. Will do. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.